Chapter Four of The Whispering Man by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four Carlton Stancliffe. The man who had entered the room in response to this last summons proved agreeably disappointing to my expectations. My interest in the proceedings, which had somehow flagged after the disappearance of the girl in black, was revived again instantly by the sight of the newcomer, as he is destined to play a large and romantic part in the solution of our mystery, and as his queer, brilliant, eccentric personality is to appear very often in these ensuing pages, I think I may be pardoned a description of him. He was the sort of man who never would be spoken of as old, if it were not for his attempts to look young he was actually i should judge somewhere in the middle forties a tall graceful and commanding figure with a strikingly handsome face there was nothing weak about it the features were big and boldly though finely modelled and the deep-set eyes singularly expressive the only fault one could find with him was that he carried everything just a little too far. He was too aggressively well-dressed, too painfully clean-shaven, his manner a little too dignified, his voice and features a little too expressive. It came upon me all at once what he must be. An actor, that was it, everything about him was heightened just enough to carry itself over the footlights he was in evening dress wore an overcoat and gloves and carried a walking-stick as well as an irreproachable silk hat in his hand like his predecessor he identified pomeroy instantly that's the man said he pointing at him with his stick he was the third patient to come in after me this morning he was sitting in the reception room waiting his turn when i went into the doctor's office up to the middle of that last sentence his voice had been just what i should have expected an actor's to be rich suavely inflected perfectly under control but just at the end of the word reception it suddenly abandoned him and he completed the sentence in a queer harsh voiceless whisper the suddenness of it startled all of us but it did not seem to surprise the man himself he turned to me with a faintly apologetic smile it's a curious vocal affection he said still in the harsh whisper i am never able to be sure of finishing a sentence audibly i am one of a good many who have reason to regret dr marshall's death he held out hopes that the difficulty was not incurable curiously enough on the word incurable his voice came back again my attention was diverted then by the entrance into the room of my young friend marshall why jack had not come in sooner i did not know he had heard evidently from the sergeant outside of the successful identification of pomeroy the effect of this had been to brighten his eyes and bring a good clear colour into his cheeks again the whispering man had seated himself beside me evidently with the intention of seeing the little play out to the end 
young marshall walked over to where the lieutenant was you have something for me to identify he asked i understand said the lieutenant that your father owned a rather well-known ruby do you know where he kept it here in the office most of the time answered the young man and you saw it often did you yes so that you might expect to know it when you saw it yes without a doubt isn't this it the lieutenant's hand opened as he spoke revealing in the palm of it an enormous blazing red stone we had all automatically drawn nearer the other detectives the whispering man and i were now gazing alternately at the great stone itself and the thoughtful young face that was bending over it that's it said jack you'd identify it on oath yes said jack i'd do that that's all then said the lieutenant he turned to the sergeant who had by now come into the inner office call the wagon he said and take him back and then he uttered a word of valedictory to pomeroy you see we've got it on you he said you might better have owned up yourself i guessed from that that his efforts to extract a confession from pomeroy had not been successful this surmise was correct for from the moment of his arrest he had scarcely spoken a single word had declined to offer any explanation whatever of his visit to the doctor's office or of his possession of the ruby there seemed to be no further need of my going back to the marshal's house that night so i sent jack home alone with instructions to tell madeline that the murderer was certainly caught and with the promise from myself to be on hand the first thing in the morning he seemed glad enough at the prospect of a little solitude at which i did not wonder it is strange to think of but it is true that our attitude toward each other at that moment was almost one of congratulation yet we were standing in the very room where not twelve hours before a great and famous man had met a sudden and appalling death and that man was the father of the one who had just so cheerfully extended his hand to me in parting i doubt if he had ever proved himself a very affectionate parent you could hardly imagine the word affection used in connection with him yet that was not the reason for the quick rebound our spirits had made it was the unutterable horror of the explanation of the crime which had forced itself into both of our unwilling minds his i was sure as well as mine after contemplating that possibility for a while the fact of the murder itself seemed of secondary importance having found the motive for it to be simple robbery and the murderer himself to have been a hardened criminal seemed almost to make all right again and yet after jack had gone out i stayed there in that inner office saw them take the prisoner away saw every one go including the lieutenant himself leaving the premises in charge of the young policeman who was to keep watch during the night and standing there alone the actual tragedy savage and horrible enough though it was not so unspeakably inhuman as the one my own imagination had constructed began for the first time to assume a reality for me i saw the doctor sitting there 
calm unsuspecting in the full tide of life and work allowing himself perhaps a moment's leisure to enjoy the pleasant memory which that last patient of his the girl with the darkly shaded eyes must have left behind and i saw him suddenly becoming aware of another presence in the room looking up possibly with that faint smile still on his lips to confront the brutish face and glowering eyes of his murderer and what had happened then the man had suffocated him so the police said how had he ever got his hands on his throat before the utterance of the one outcry that would have brought help there had been no such outcry the thing had been done as silently as if it had been the work of evil spirits try as i might i could not construct a working hypothesis for those next few minutes how had pomeroy got in how had he crossed the room and got into a position behind that swivel chair for even if his victim had not had his eye on the door that great mirror over there would have revealed him perhaps when the gallows had fairly overshadowed him and the last hope of some technical means of escape had in fact gone he might tell otherwise we should never know we should know nothing more than that at the end of those few horrible minutes they had opened the doctor's door and looked in and seeing his head and shoulders in silhouette against the window as he bent there over his desk they thought him to be asleep or to have fainted and then coming closer close enough to see the terrible face and wild glaring eyes they knew he was dead by violence i shuddered uncontrollably and wondered at my good spirits of so short a time before i was glad jack had gone i could hardly have found the heart to give him so cheerfully confident a message to madeline now well there was nothing to be gained by staying here just to work up a wholly unnecessary attack of the horrors over the gruesome business i turned to go just as i did so my eye caught a glint from the carpet of what i took to be a bent pin quite automatically for by nature i am an orderly and methodical person i stooped and picked it up it was not a pin after all but the broken end of a curved needle it made no particular impression on my mind and i was on the point of dropping it into the waste paper basket when something stopped me it was no very definite idea probably just a reminiscence from detective stories i had read of the immense importance of the most trivial things i smiled a little over my own action but for all that i put the needle back upon the exact spot on the carpet where i had found it instead of tossing it among the crumpled papers in the basket my very last impression in that room was identical with my first one how thoroughly it reeked of tobacco what filthy brutes detectives were anyway i meant to walk down to my apartment off madison square and rather relishing the prospect of a quiet stroll under the warm spring night air i took my time about starting pulled on my gloves quite deliberately and lighted a cigar in the sheltered entrance to the grosvenor building as i stood there shielding my match with my hands my walking stick tucked under my arm i was somewhat startled by a touch on the elbow 
turning quickly i saw the whispering man standing there i wonder if i may trouble you for the rest of that match he asked i am in my chronic condition amply provided with things to smoke and destitute of the means for setting them alight i offered him matches and waited until his cigar was drawing well and then we went out in the street together a thing like murder seems strangely incongruous among all these commonplace respectable surroundings i observed i don't know said he i doubt if any time or any place is intrinsically better adapted to the crime of murder than the middle of the day a crowded city street and a modern office building i was just wondering as a matter of fact why doctors and other professional men who shut themselves up in private offices aren't murdered oftener he was going south too it seemed so we fell in step together both rather glad i think to be able to talk to somebody without the need of making preliminary explanations i was especially so because there was something familiar about him which baffled me because it was so vague i was sure i had heard him talk before in his natural voice i mean not in the horrible croaking whisper which sometimes replaced it you may be right in theory said i i have a friend who would agree with you but as a practical matter of fact this murderer has been overtaken and caught very promptly do you think so he asked if the police go on exhibiting the same plentiful lack of wit during the rest of the case which they have shown to-night in the pomeroy affair i should say the murderer had a good chance to die of old age i stopped dead still in the middle of the sidewalk and looked at him what do you mean i cried do you mean to express a doubt that pomeroy is the man who killed dr marshall no doubt said he quietly a certainty and have you any objection to telling me on what you base that certainty none at all said he it is very simple you have no special knowledge of precious stones i presume none whatever i replied neither has that fool of a police lieutenant was his rejoinder but i have and i was able to see at a glance that the thing they found in pomeroy's pocket was no more a ruby than that big red vase in the drugstore window over there is it was a clever imitation i grant but nothing more than that mechanically i set my legs in motion again and he walked on beside me in silence it was impossible to doubt what he said evidently he knew exactly what he was talking about still said i after a few minutes of quiet thought i don't see that the fact of its being an imitation clears pomeroy as completely as you seem to think it does it is not merely an imitation ruby it is an imitation of dr marshall's ruby which makes it clear enough that the man intended to get the real one we know he didn't succeed but how do we know he didn't murder the doctor it's not very difficult is it asked my companion politely if pomeroy had contemplated the use of violence he would hardly have gone to the trouble and run the risk of securing an imitation of the doctor's stone 
what he meant to do is perfectly plain he undoubtedly knew that dr marshall frequently showed the ruby to his patients if he going in the guise of a patient could persuade the doctor to show it to him the robbery was as good as accomplished it would only need a little clever sleight of hand of which a man like pomeroy is past master to exchange the real one for the imitation it might be weeks or months before the doctor would discover that any crime whatever had been committed and when he did make that discovery he would have no way of knowing which of the patients to whom he had shown the stone was the criminal it was a well-planned crime and like every well-planned crime had this great merit it did not commit the intending criminal to any criminal act until success was actually in his grasp if the plan failed if pomeroy did not succeed in inducing the doctor to show him his stone he lost no more than the cost of the imitation stone indeed there would be nothing to prevent his going back for another trial whenever he pleased now i think you can see that no man in his senses and a high-class crook like pomeroy is certainly in full possession of his with a safe clever plan like that in his head and the means for carrying it out in his skilful fingers would wantonly have murdered the doctor and come away without his ruby i could see clearly enough that he was right no man will do by violence what he is prepared to do with better promise of success by fraud why then i asked didn't pomeroy wait his turn and go into the inner office in the character of a patient he was frightened away i imagine said my companion and i have a notion that i myself am the person who frightened him i had mistaken him at first glance for someone i knew and catching his eye i bowed to him rather uncertainly to be sure but for all that i think he believed i had recognized him so he waited till i had gone into the doctor's office and then slipped quietly away by that time we had got down to twenty-sixth street and i must turn off across the square but my vague half-recognition of the man troubled me and i determined not to let him go without finding out who he was i am wondering said i if i have been similarly mistaken about you it is your voice that sounds so familiar to me i have no recollection of your face that's natural enough said he i am carlton stancliffe carlton stancliffe of course it was stupid of me not to have guessed since i had put him down for an actor at my first glance at him but it was no wonder that his face puzzled me for his specialty was character parts and in the dozen times or more i must have seen him on the stage he had never looked twice alike i told him my name and expressed my pleasure at having met him then rather thoughtlessly i asked what are you playing in now mr stancliffe he smiled rather sadly i should have spoken of myself in the past tense i am afraid with this nervous affection of the throat i am as good as dead though under dr marshall's treatment i had hopes of a resurrection then his mind going back to the grim topic we had for a moment forgotten he murmured 
a peculiarly atrocious murder it must have been but a very interesting one have you any theory regarding it i asked now that pomeroy is eliminated he hesitated why yes he said i have but it's hardly one that i should care to talk about until it had turned out to be a good deal more than a theory i understood him well enough i felt as he spoke the horrible black filaments of that sinister web of circumstances settling upon my spirits again he's a singularly nice clean-looking young chap too he added thoughtfully then gravely he bade me good-night and went on down the avenue i was unlocking the door of my own apartment before it occurred to me to wonder a little over mr stancliffe's last words i had never seen dr armstrong but those words somehow did not seem like a description of him they sounded more like a description of jack and where anyway had the actor seen the doctor's assistant i pulled the key out of the lock again without turning it and decided to knock on jeffrey's door instead i was wondering in half-whimsical acquiescence in the claim he had put forth over the dinner-table what would have happened had he been able to spend the evening in my company would he have told the police to set pomeroy free and would his accusing finger have pointed at anyone else at anyone i had seen and talked with since we had read the news together in the evening paper end of chapter four